Well, we're into that, that season of, of testing. Uh, finals have just happened in a lot of places, uh, high schools, colleges. Uh, actually, Lucy, who is our campus uh, worship director, uh, just graduated from UCSD a couple days ago. And so, yeah, yeah, just graduations going on all over the place. It truly, it is a, a time of testing. And, and uh, a lot of us, you know, we, we, we remember the experience of being tested, whether it was in college or how about, how about even grade school? How many of you remember the spelling test? And remember like those little pop quizzes? Remember the teachers would go, today we're going to have a pop quiz. And for some of us, if you were like me, it struck fear in my heart. Didn't know how that was going to turn out. And so I wanted to show you, um, this is some of the answers that, uh, some grade school kids had to some tests that, that, that they were taking. For instance, this one. I, I love some of these answers. What ended in 1896? Well, it was a correct 1895, right? It was this kid's sharp, right? Probably didn't know the answer, but he came up with that. I thought that was pretty good. How about this one here? Math test. Bob has 36 candy bars. He's 29. What does he have now? Diabetes. Bob has diabetes. This kid is brilliant. He's obviously going to be a doctor when he grows up. Uh, how about this one here? Why are there three rings on Saturn? And uh, I guess it doesn't show very well on there, or we could read it. So we won't see that one. It's like, I don't know what happened there. Um, where was the Declaration of Independence signed? <laughs> At the bottom, of course, right? I kind of think the teacher wasn't looking for that, but I thought that was really good. How about this one out here? How would you make a marriage work? Now, this kid, this kid is brilliant. Ricky, age 10, tell your wife that she looks pretty even if she looks like a truck. And I like the statement next to it. It says, he'll be married forever. Um, and, and then um, this, is what, <laughs> this is what I would have written in, in when I was in uh, grade school. I, in a word, describe school, large letters are hell, okay? And then finally, this one here. Um, so they're talking about hard and soft water. Briefly explain what hard water is. Ice, of course, right? Some really, really cool answers there. Um, today, we're going to be talking about testing. We're going to talk about a different kind of testing. And one of the things that we know is the Bible clearly states to us that there will be times of, of testing. And, and that actually God things test are good, even if we don't. I, I got to tell you, I'm not real crazy about test, but God said there's, there's a purpose behind the testing, and it's actually for our own benefit, and that if we'll hang in there and we'll learn what the God tests are like, um, we can actually benefit from them. In fact, not only us, but all the people around us that are in our life when we're going through a test, they will benefit from it as well. In fact, here's what the Bible says about test. Just a couple of, of verses to help you with this. One of the, uh, the uh, disciples, Peter, said this in 1 Peter 1.7. He says, These tests have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. There's, there's, there's going to be tests. They, they will come. And then James, the half-brother of Jesus, put it this way. And it's almost like astounding the way he breaks out and he goes, Consider it pure joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials. Now, isn't that the way you feel when you face a trial? One translation says, and tribulations. We think, oh, no. But look what he says. He goes, there's purpose in this. He says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces something. It, presu- it produces perseverance. And then he says, let per- perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. 
In other words, God wants to put some steel in our soul. He wants us to grow up. He wants us to mature so that we can take life on and, and, and really be the people that he created us to be. But it's going to require tests in order for that to actually happen. So when we take the test, we have to study with the test in mind. So how do you study for a test of, that God's going to give you? It's an open book test. It is an open book test. All the answers are found in this book right here. Now, here's the deal. If, if you're not reading this book, you're not going to know, you know when, when, when those problems come, those tribulations and trials. You, you're not going to know. This is why, Pastor, what does Pastor Steve always say? What does he say? Read the Bible, read the Bible. I'm going to go to my grave. The last words I ever say, read the Bible. Because all of the answers are in here. And if you don't read the Bible, then your worldview is going to be informed by the culture. It's going to be informed by your own way that you think about things. But if you're looking for a way to deal with the trials and tribulations of life, as a follower of Christ, the answers are found here. It's an open book test. And by the way, God is not like the evil professor you might have had uh, in college. I remember there was a couple professors, and they just seemed to get joy out of the fact that their tests were so hard. And if you, some of them would say, make statements like this, nobody passes my test completely. And you're like, really? That's just mean-spirited. You know, God is not like that. He's an open book test. I want you to pass. I want you to. And not only that, God gives us the benefit of a gift and a tutor to help us. It's called the Holy Spirit. And the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit, when we receive him into our heart, he comes and he's our advocate, he's our helper, he brings comfort to us, he brings peace to us, he actually guides us to all truth, that's what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. So we've got all of that working for us when we, uh, when we take a test. Um, in 1 Kings, we're going to look there today, we're going to get into a story of a guy named Elijah. Uh, and, and Elijah is probably what we call the king of the prophets. He comes onto the scene in about 875 B.C., if you're with us. And you can, you can start turning there. It's in the Old Testament if you're not familiar with the Bible. But um, Elijah steps in on the scene before a guy named Ahab. Ahab is a, an evil king. Uh, there had been 19 kings, and he was the 19th, and he was like the, the worst of all of them. He, he was evil on steroids, and one of the things, one of the reasons that he was so evil is that he led the people of Israel away from God to actually worship the pagan gods of the nations that were all around them and all their practices. And so God, at some point, God says, enough. And so he brings Elijah, the prophet, uh, to Ahab. And Ahab, as we talked about last week, he, Elijah stands right in front of him and he says this, walks up to the king and he said, you know what? It is not going to rain until I say it's going to rain. Spins around, and he walks away. And, and, and then God hides him because the reason he needs to hide Elijah is because the king's going to get really, really ticked off. What's going to happen is that his word's going to come true. One year would go by. Two years would go by. Pretty soon, the crops are failing, and everybody's ticked off at, at, at King Ahab. And so he's going to want to kill and take out the prophet. So he hides Elijah in a little brook area called Kareth, and this in this ravine. And uh, if you were with us last week, kind of an interesting way that he takes care of them. He, he has ravens come every day, and they feed him. They bring him meat and bread. Uh, and so for like over three years, he's just hanging out in this, this ravine. And this, this is where we pick up the story, beginning with uh, verse 7. 
Sometime later, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. And then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. And I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. And so he went to Zarephath, and when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her, and he asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a, a piece of bread. So you know that, that times are, are really hard. And uh, if, if you were with us last week, we talked about the fact that God is preparing Elijah for something really, really big. In fact, he's preparing for what will literally be a mountaintop experience, Mount Carmel, if if you know that story. It's an amazing story. But before he gets there, he will be tested. And God, this is part of the preparation process. Now, I, I would, probably all of us would agree that tests can be hard. But here's what we need to know. In the midst of those tests, because you know, they come into our life and we're like, ah, I hate this. I, I don't want to go through this. But in the midst of it, to know that God is right there with us in the middle of the test. Now, here's the thing. When you and I get tested, the test isn't just about us. It's also about the people around us. And when we pass the test, everybody around us benefits from that. And they go, wow, look at you. Like, you handled that so well. And you learned so much. And we were just so inspired by the way that you dealt with that situation. And when we fail the test, well, you know, then everybody sees that too. And that's why important, it's, it's important that when those tests come into our life that, that we know. Now, now, having said that, some of you might be saying, so what does a God test look like? Well, some of you undoubtedly walked in here this morning and you're in the middle of some, something's going on in your life. Maybe it's a relational thing. Maybe, uh, maybe it's in your marriage, or maybe it's with one of your children, or maybe it's with your boss at work, and it's just, it's, it's just driving you crazy. This person is driving you crazy. That would be a test, okay? Maybe it's a financial thing. Maybe you came in today, and, and uh, everything is just falling apart financially, and you are thinking, why, you know, what purpose is, in, is there in that? And maybe God is saying, I'm trying to teach you something. I'm trying to teach you how to manage your money. You're not doing a very good job. And I love you so much, and I want to teach you how to manage your money. Uh, maybe it's uh, maybe a physical thing, and you're going through a season of, of you know, uh, some health issues. There, there's all kinds of tests that we have. Now, here's one thing that's really, really important that you need to know. When you and I face a test, it, 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 it comes from God. But when we face temptation, that does not come from God. In fact, James says in uh, James 1.13, he says, Temptation does not come from God. The, t- the fact, the purpose of temptation, especially if it comes from the enemy of our soul, the devil, is to crush us, destroy us, not help us. So what's, what's the purpose of a test? Grow us, help us, empower us, right? But so just know that. Because sometimes we're, we are tempted, when we are tempted, to say, God, how could you let me be tempted like this? Once again, I want to make, God says, I'm not tempting you. Okay? So either we're tempted by our own flesh, the Bible says, or we're tempted by the devil him, himself. What, a guy named David, King David, and we talked about him just a few weeks ago, was going through one of the worst trials a person can go through. He was actually being hunted down by his father-in-law, who was a king. His name was Saul. And as he's being hunted down, he writes this, this beautiful psalm, Psalm 23. He says, though I walk through the darkest valley, and maybe you're here today, and you say, Steve, that describes where I'm at today. I'm in a dark place. I'm in a, I'm in a difficult place. 
But he would say, even though I walk through that dark valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. David feels the presence of God. He knows God has his life. And because of that, he says, I'm not going to fear your staff and your rod. They they, they comfort me. Now, God is going to test us. And so much of the testing of God is, he's saying, will you trust me? Will you trust me with what you're going through right now? Because we can either do it God's way or we can do it our way. But God says, I want you to learn to trust me because there's, there's so much benefit in learning to trust me. And I have such a great plan for your life and so many good things I want to do. Uh, I, uh, I have not, you know, all of us have certain gifts in our life. One of my gifts is, is not directions. I mean, I'm, I'm terrible directionally. And so before, I'm old enough to remember when we didn't have GPS and we had maps and we had Thomas guides. And I can't tell you how much time I spent on the side of the road turning maps around and Thomas guides, just trying to find. How many of you remember those times? You know, okay, so yeah, you, some of you remember that. Yeah. And then GPS came along and it was just a new day. And I mean, really, all I do is I just listen to the voice at the other end. Turn left, turn right. It's just a beautiful time to live in. Um, but one of the, my favorite ones, so there's an app called Waze. How many of you use Waze? W-A-Z-E. <clears throat> so here's what I love about Waze. Waze will get you there quicker than any other place because it tells you um, that there's a traffic jam or that there's danger ahead. It even tells you if the police are ahead, if you're a speeder. Um, it, it's got all these different, all this information that, that it gives you. And so um, recently, my wife and I, were, we were making a trip up to the Bay Area and we were going through L.A., and if you ever drive through L.A., you just know there's going to be traffic jams. It's going to take you forever to get through L.A., especially about 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning. So we decided we were going to use Waze. And um, we, a couple times, we had made the mistake of not trusting Waze. Don't ever, ever doubt Waze. When we didn't trust Waze, guess what? It actually, there actually was a traffic jam, or there was something that happened, and we were like, oh, we should have trusted Waze. And so we're going through L.A., and, we, and, and it says, okay, there's a different way to go, and it'll get you through off the freeway. And, this, and I, I said, let's just trust ways. And so we did. And you know what happened is that we, saw, we got a scenic view of L.A. I've never seen before. I, I, we went to parts of L.A. I didn't even know existed. And we're seeing these beautiful homes, and I'm seeing, like, greenery that I've never seen. And I'm like, wow, L.A. is kind of cool. And then we came out, and when we came out and got back on the freeway, we were ahead, quite a bit ahead, and we were like, Thank you, ways. But you know, that's, that's the way it is with God. God says, I know, I'm going to take you sometimes in your life, I'm going to take you in directions you don't understand it, and by faith, you're just going to have to hang on and say, God, I don't know where you're taking me, and, and many times he's going to take the scenic route, and, and the danger things are going to pop up, you know, and he's going to go, don't go that way, go this way. But we, we have to learn to trust him, especially in times of trusting. Uh, it's interesting that in this story that we're talking about with Elijah, and this, this widow, that they actually are mentioned in the New Testament by Jesus himself. And he kind of points them out, and, and he says, I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. And when the sky was shut for three and a half years, there was a severe, severe famine throughout the land. Yet, Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Now, Jesus was talking about this, and he was trying to make a, a point about somebody that was really, really in need and two people that were really, really being tested in that particular time. And, and God, because they, were, because they were trusted God, God did some really, really incredible things and, and did some miracles in their life. We're, we're going to see that. Now, when we pass the test, here's the beauty of it. 
we can encourage somebody else because we've been through that test. Recently, I had a, a different kind of a test. Uh, I have a, a 2001 uh, RAV4 Toyota, and I could not pass a smog test. Anybody ever been there before? Isn't that, yeah, there you go. Isn't that a horrible feeling? So, and, and so there's, you know, I, I went, uh, first of all, right down to this uh, auto store, and I said, because I, I found out that they have this stuff you can buy, and it'll help you pass a smog test. And, you know, when you, when, they, when you don't pass, it says, this is why. And mine said, catalytic converter. And I'm like, I'm not paying for no catalytic converter. So I went down, I got this, this can of this miracle stuff, put it in, it didn't work. <laughs> Wasted money. I'm like, oh, no. And so then I, I have a, a friend who's a mechanic, and he saves me a lot of money, so I went to him, and I go, how can we get around the catalytic converter thing? And so, uh, man, we're doing all kinds of stuff, and I'm and it's just adding up more and more money, more and more money. And finally, uh, I said to Matt, I said, Matt, we're just going to have to put a catalytic converter in it. And so we did, and $650 later, uh, I passed smog. Now, he, here's the point that I, I want to make. Sometimes, when we're going through a test, God is saying, so here's how you pass the test, and he points something out in our life, and we're going, no, that's, that's, maybe it's an anger issue, and, and you're going, well, I'm going to work, I'll read the Bible more, you know, I'll, I'll pray more, God, I'll go to church more, I'll do anything, but I don't, you know, I just, I, I, it's an anger issue, and it just is what it is. And God's going, no, you can't get around that. That's the test. It's about your anger. Or, or, or maybe it's in some other area of your life, and God just, he's just saying, hey, it's, it, it's right there. God wants you to pass the test. And when you get through the test, then you can encourage other people. When I was, uh, when I was growing up, my dad was all about work. And we would talk about work a lot. He saw the value in work. He delighted in work. And uh, one of the things that he always told me, he said, Steve, if you have a job, or, or, then, or if, you, if you're looking for a job, don't quit your job. You, know, you always have a job before you look for a job. And he, he just drilled that into me. Always have a job before you look for a job. And so I had just gotten married. My wife and I were about six months into our marriage. We were actually at a church. We were doing pretty good, but we didn't really enjoy the experience there. Didn't like the culture of the church and everything. So what do I do? I, I abandoned my dad's wisdom. And my wife had a really good job somewhere else. And so we, we left the city, and we're like, I'm just feeling so confident. I'm like, oh, it'll be all work out. It didn't. A year later, I mean, we're struggling. We're all upside down financially. And so I learned a great lesson, which I have never to this day, decades later, I have never left a job without a job. Now, why do I say that? I have a feeling somebody in this room is ready to leave their job, and you don't have a job. So let me share a little wisdom with you, and a a test that I have passed many times now. Don't leave your job until you have a job, okay? All right, that was for free, okay? First king, let's get back into the story. Verse 12. As surely, as surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, this is a widow, I don't have any bread and only a handful of flour and a jar and a little olive oil in the jug. And I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. This is a desperate situation. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you've said. But first, make, small, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me, and then make something for yourself and for your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. And she went away, and she did as Elijah had told her, and there was 
So there was food for every, every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. And the jar of flour was not dried up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. That, this is like an amazing miracle that takes place. A lot of times when we get into a gnarly struggle, trial of some kind, we just get all bound up with fear. And sometimes because of that fear, the very thing that we ought to do, we, we don't do. We, we, we just we become cowards sometimes. And we, in, in this particular case, think about it. This woman, all she's got is a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil, and she feels like this is it. We're going to have our last meal, and then we're going to starve because there's no food around here, and this drought is just it's, it's wiping everything out. And Elijah, now, you know, she doesn't really know Elijah that well, as far as we know. And, and, and Elijah says, trust me on this one. Okay, you just, you just give, any, any, interesting, he says, feed me first. Can you imagine, like, what? Did you see my son right here? Did you notice that, like, we're, this is it for us? And he says, you feed me, and then we're going to take it from there. And by a step of faith, she says, okay, we're going to do that. See, there, there, there's a real principle in this. A lot of times when you and I, let's just, say, let's just talk about our resources for a second. We, we have a tendency to kind of shut down in terms of generosity if things are kind of lean. We go, well, I, you know, I, I can't be generous anymore. Let me tell you something. I, I've known people all my life, I've known, especially in third world countries, I've watched people that were poor, that were so generous, that were willing to share food with you and give you almost the shirt off of their back. I've also seen poor people that were, were stingy. I've seen rich people that were incredibly generous and stingy. But the, the point is, is that God wants us to always, always have a generous heart, whether you're rich or poor or somewhere in between. But you can't let fear get into you. Like all, all of your life, whether you're rich, poor, or somewhere in between, God's just saying, don't let that get into you. And for that woman, she just said, okay. And she took a step of faith, and, and God really honored it. God provided for them, and, and it's because they took a step, a step of faith there. Now, here's what you need to know, is that God often uses life's hardships to point us back to him. I, I've seen this in, in my life, and, and maybe it's played out in your life a few times. A lot of times when we begin to sort of drift spiritually, God is trying to get your attention. So he'll allow, many times, he don't always cause it, but a lot of times he'll allow something to ha- happen in your life where you're kind of on the ropes and you're going, Oh, man, what is going on? And we have a tendency, just kind of human nature, when that happens, to start to look up and go, God, I, I need your help. And that could be maybe where some of you are at today. Another thing that God will do is maybe spiritually you're doing really well, and God says we're going to do even better. We're going to take your spiritual life to a whole new level. And God allows something to come into your life because he wants to mature you in that particular area of your life. It's not a bad thing. He's just saying, okay, here we go. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do something in your life that's going to make you even better than you are, more mature than you are. And it may not be easy, but we're, we're going to get you through this. That's what happens here. Let's go to uh, finish the story at verse 17. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. And he grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. And she said to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come here to remind me of my sin and kill my son? I mean, things go from getting pretty good to like this. 
about as bad as it can go. Give me your son, Elijah replied. He, he took him from her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and he laid him on a bed. And then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought this tragedy on this widow? I'm staying with the, by, by causing her son to die? And then he stretched himself out on the boy three times. And he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. And the Lord heard Elijah's cry. And the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. And Elijah picked up the child, and he carried him down from the room into the house. And he gave him to the mother and said, Look, your son is alive. And then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. I'm going to tell you, that woman from that day on, yeah, she, she was not of the nation of Israel and most likely not a believer in Yahweh, God. But she became a believer that day. She saw that the, the power of God with, it was there. But notice, notice what transpires here. When you and I get into a trial, it's so easy to get into the, the blame game. And let me, say, let me tell you something about the blame game. Nobody ever wins it. It just... It just cycles, it goes around, because when you blame somebody, whether in this particular case, you know, uh, uh, this woman is saying to Elijah, you're the cause of this. And then Elijah is looking up at God and going, how could you allow this to happen? But uh, unless somebody, like, turns towards God and says, okay, let's figure this thing out, nothing gets solved. Maybe today you're in the middle of a blame game. Maybe you're blaming God for your, where you're at today. Maybe you're blaming your spouse or blaming your boss or blaming somebody else. Nobody's going to win that game, and you're going to stay stuck until you get past it. And so you've got to move forward. You've got to say, you've got to take the test back on. And for some of you, it's getting back into test mode and saying, okay, God, apparently this is a test. And so here we are. I'm ready to, to deal with whatever it is that I'm supposed to do whatever it is that I'm supposed to learn. One of the things we discover is that the greater the problem is in our life, the greater the glory that when God gets involved in it. Look what happened here in this situation. I mean, can you imagine how the prophet Elijah felt? He comes to this woman, he says, you know, hey, make me some food even though you don't have much. And then God does a miracle and things are going so great. And then the son dies. It would have been so easy for Elijah just to get ticked off and walk out of that house and go, God, thanks a lot, man. But he doesn't do that. He keeps looking to God. And I'm sure in his mind he's thinking, God, I have no idea what's going on. And then God does an amazing miracle in, in his life. Let me, let me ask you this question. What is God trying to teach you today? Maybe you're here today and you're not going through a test at all. In fact, it's smooth sailing. I'm so happy for you. I hope it stays smooth sailing, but it's not going to always be that way. Because there will be tests. Why? Because God loves us. He wants to grow us. He wants to mature us. We, we know that now. So what would it be? So let me talk about my life just for a moment because my wife and I have been going through a severe test now for a little over two years. And um, it, it has everything in the world to do with this house right here. This is a, a house that my parents bought in 1976. It's in Morgan Hill, California, about 20 miles south of San Jose, if you know that area. And... Uh, Two and a half years ago, my dad passed away. My mom actually passed away about six years ago. And so uh, my sister, I have two sisters, and we have a living trust. So every, everything looks good. It's a three-way split. 
should work marvelously, but it hasn't. And it has been probably one of the most difficult things that my wife and I have ever faced because there's a lot of relational stuff going on here. Um, and, and, it's, and I'm not going to demonize anybody because it's really not about that. So let me, let me talk about what happened in the midst of this. And I'm going to say this. A lot of you, you're younger and you haven't faced this. Most likely one day you're going to face maybe something like this. And, and so maybe I can talk about what God is doing in my life. Uh, and, and, and so what I discovered, so, you know, dad passes and it's like, okay, let's sell the house. Let's get on with it, you know, and that's going to bless us and it's going to bless my sisters. And then all this other stuff starts, starts to transpire. And, and so for the first time in many, many years, I have to be in close quarters with my two siblings. And, and, and for some of you, you know, you grow up in a family and then everybody kind of goes their different direction. And so my, they live in Northern California. I live over here. We have little family gatherings two to three times a year. And it's like we hang out just long enough to be able to tolerate each other and then be able to leave our way. If some of you know what I'm talking about. You're like, hi, you know, hey, the kids, oh, you know, my nephews, my nieces, and everything. so good to see you. We're driving home. Whew, wow. You know. Um, and, and so it's not that we don't like each other. It's just that it's a little uncomfortable sometimes. And, and I have two Sicilian sisters, just like me. I'm Sicilian. Maybe I'll tell you a little bit right there. So uh, in, in the midst of all of this, I discovered that my sisters have real issues with me that I didn't know about. I mean, decades have gone by. And I'm, I'm completely unaware of this. And I probably should have been a lot more tuned in. And really, I, that, that's my bad. And so at some point, I began to have conversations with them, deep conversations about why they feel the way they do about me. And there was a lot of, there's been a lot of forgiveness that's taken place. I mean, I, I just, just told them, I am so sorry. I had no idea that I'd hurt you so much. And it, through these two years, God has begun to do something in my heart. You see, I, when this whole house thing happened, I didn't see, I just saw it as strictly a financial thing. I didn't think about the relational aspect at all which sometimes I can be that way. And so God got up in my grill and said, Steve, we got to work out some stuff in your life. Um, relationship is everything. God values relationships far above everything. And I've learned for the last oh, over two years how much God really cares about relationships. And, and so we're still working this out. Things have got, gotten way better um, you know, my wife has been gone now for about nine days. She's there right now, and we're still working on this whole thing. And, and I don't say this so that you'll, you know, go, oh, poor Steve. I don't want you to feel sorry for me. In fact, I want you to rejoice with me because God has done some substantial work in my life, and I'm a better person for it today, okay? And, I, and, and so that, that's my story. That's what God is teaching me and a lot of other things. The question is, what is God teaching you where you're at today. Let me pray for you. Lord, it's, it's sometimes difficult to be thankful for a trial or a challenge or a difficulty. It's, it's, it's just hard. It didn't feel good. But Lord, I, I, I realize, and I think all of us realize this morning, that you do love us, you have a plan for us, that you do want to grow us, mature us, but that just kind of comes with the territory, that whole test thing. And, and I realize that here this morning, there are probably people that are going through different kinds of tests. In fact, probably quite a few of them. And maybe they're very, very discouraged this morning. 
and, and maybe even beyond discouragement, super depressed. And Lord, I, I pray that this morning, there's a, this is just a moment of clarity when they can maybe see it from a different perspective and realize that indeed you're there to help them. It's an open book test. There's all the answers right there in the, your word. Your Holy Spirit is there to bring comfort to them during this time. There are undoubtedly people around them to support them, help them to realize that this morning. And so uh, we would ask that if there's anybody here today who's struggling in the test, maybe just ready just to, to make a run for it, this morning you'll give them courage. Help them to do what they need to do and help them to see that on the other side of that test is joy and blessing, so much blessing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.